Hello, my friends. Today, I have a special show for you. Heart-to-heart chats with Sheila Gunn-Reed and Tamara Leach while on tour. The both of them have been on tour. I, I want you to see, not just hear, today's show. So please go to rebelnewsplus.com. Click subscribe. It's only 8 bucks a month, which might not sound like a lot to you, but it's a lot to us. When enough people chips in, chip in, that really helps us pay the bills. So go to rebelnewsplus.com for the video version of this podcast. All right, here's the audio version. Tonight, Rebel News has been on the road. I'll give you an update. It's August 11th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Well, hi there. I'm in beautiful British Columbia. Oh, it's such a pretty province. Um, The reason I'm here is because Rebel News is on tour. We've been doing events. Maybe you've come to them. The other day we were down in Surrey, which is a suburb of Vancouver, absolutely packed. We had an event at the Seventh-day Adventist Church, although it was not a religious event, even though the pastor there was a very generous and warm host to us. And I myself am not even Christian, as you know. We have people of every religion at Rebel News. Our commonality is that we believe in freedom, including freedom of religion, freedom of association, the kind of things that were steamrolled during the lockdowns and the vaccine mandates. So we met allies, including brave churches that refused to close. Um, One of the things about our tour is that we have to beware of cancel culture. Some venues simply will not take anything controversial. They're so afraid of being attacked, either attacked in the press or physically attacked. As you may know, I was recently in Portland, Oregon, just for one day, to cover the trial of Andy No, an independent citizen journalist who was brutally attacked by Antifa. He sued them, and uh, incredibly, the jury acquitted. And it's my belief that the jury acquitted him because they were terrified and terrorized by Antifa. One of the lawyers for Antifa said, I am Antifa, and I'm going to remember the face of you jurors. It's like a mafia trial where the mafia boss looks at the jurors and say, I hope nothing happens to you. Like, it was absolutely terrifying. My point of referring to this, as you can see here in the footage of Andy No literally being beaten on camera, there is footage of him being beaten by Antifa. There's no doubt about it. But yet a jury acquitted or or dismissed the case against Antifa. That's extreme cancel culture. I don't think we're that far down the road in Canada. But it's clear that policing in Canada takes a different approach depending on your politics. Anyhow, my point is, even to do events for Rebel News, we face a little bit of cancel culture. Imagine how hard it would be to have a Rebel News event in Portland, Oregon. We're not planning to. We don't have a big support base there. But my point is, cancel culture at the end starts to look like Portland, Oregon. Anyways, so we've been doing events across Canada, sometimes in churches, sometimes in regular venues. We had a wonderful event in Toronto recently sold out in the Eglinton Grand Theatre, which is a, a, a proper venue, so it was very nice of them to host us. My point is we're getting back into the events business because I believe the Rebel News isn't just 
watching videos or podcasts or reading written articles. It's also campaigns. As you know, we sometimes get involved. We crowdfund a lawyer to fight a battle or we, we send people on a journalistic mission. We like to go to Davos to cover the World Economic Forum. We like to go to global warming conferences. As you know, we even managed to scrum Greta Thunberg in January, which was a very interesting thing. And we only did that because that's how Rebel works. We put together the budget for that trip based on crowdfunding. Here's a flashback to that scrum, that walking interview with Greta Thunberg. Greta, who was filming your arrest in Germany? Because it looked like you did that in several takes, didn't you? You were posing with the police. He's answering for you. He's, he's answering for you. He said you had an agency. What, what, Sometimes I wish I had one. It would be much simpler then. Well, well, who was filming you then? I don't know media. You don't know who was filming you in Germany? He said he knows. He says it was an agency. News agency, you idiot. Do you normally have reporters defending you? Yeah. It's very likely that the German police and RWE fossil fuel company would stage an arrest. Well, how many how many times did you were you arrested? Because you posed for several times, didn't you? Sure. Yeah, I think that's part of what Rebel does too. We don't just do regular journalism. We do adventurous travel journalism for special projects that our people really believe in. Uh, but I think events is an important piece of the puzzle too. Oh, I don't want to forget books, which we've recently published a ton of books. Tamara Leach's book, uh, the Yamini's biography. We published an illustrated version of 1984. We even have two more books in the pipeline. So books is part of what we do. Merch, merchandise is part of what we do. I think we've got some really great clothes and I see them more and more. Some are very subtle, like just the ball cap with the megaphone on them. But some of them are, are really audacious. Uh, our, as you know, our number one best-selling shirt is Justin Castro, where the two faces are side by side. People get a real kick out of that. So we've got a lot going on, but I think events are probably our most intensive thing. And we've recently been on tour across Canada. And I mean, from Vancouver Island on the west all the way out to the Atlantic provinces. I think the furthest north we went was Edmonton and the furthest south, well, Ottawa and Toronto and Vancouver. I like doing events. Personally, I like to get out of the studio and meet with real people and just look them in the eye and say thanks to people for their support. And, and people are sort of excited, too, because they see their rebel stars on the Internet, on TV, on their phone, whatever. But to meet them in person, I think people get a kick out of it. And I do, too. It's a way of staying grounded when there's so much online Twitter hate towards rebel. It's good to be reminded that actually don't take Twitter as real life. We used to do more of these things. We used to do big annual conventions called Rebel Live. We started those again, and we're going to do more of them. We used to do annual cruises, and we're going to start those again. In fact, we haven't announced it yet, but I'll give you a sneak announcement right now. In March of 2024, which is only about six months away, just over six months away, we're going to relaunch the Rebel Cruises. We're going to uh, cruise through the Caribbean for one week. So we start in Florida, cruise through the Caribbean, fellow rebels and we'll have about half a dozen on-air talent from rebel to be there spending time with you having panel discussions it is a fundraiser for rebel news as you know we have to you know the old saying you can't uh, save the world if you can't pay the rent but i think it's super fun people like to spend time with like-minded people one of the ways they try to get us 
during the lockdowns was to cut us off from our communities, to say you couldn't go to church or synagogue, to say you couldn't go to your gym, which is a source of community for many people as well as a source of fitness and health. They even said we couldn't have family over for Christmas dinner. They even said you had to limit the number of people going to weddings and even funerals. They tried to cut us off from each other. If you know anything about cults, you know that one of the things cults do when they're trying to recruit a new member is to cut them off from their old friends and family so they have no ballast in their ship. And I think that's what they tried to do to us on purpose. They said, oh, no, no, just watch Netflix, just watch Disney Plus. You can be atomized, living at home, consuming what the media industrial complex pumps to you. So, no, I think having in-person meetups is so important. And it's really the basis for social life. So we're going to get back into that. So today, I'm going to have conversations with Sheila Gunn-Reed, who has been on tour event after event with our hit documentary, Church Under Fire. And if I can pin her down, Tamara Leach, the trucker inspirer and leader and the author of the best-selling autobiography, Hold the Line. So that's today's show. Thanks for joining. Well, I am feeling very serene because, as you can see, I'm in a very serene place, namely the temperate rainforest between Vancouver and Whistler. It's along the Sea to Sky Highway, which I just love saying. That's one of the best parts of Canada, by the way. And I say this as a Torontonian. Many people think that Toronto is the absolutely most scenic part of the country, but they may, they I'm making a joke. In fact, I've never heard anyone say that. I'm with my friend Sheila Gunn-Reed, our chief reporter. Great to see you. Hey, Ezra. Thanks for having me. Well, um, I'm here and you're here because we are on what's been going on for more than a month, two tours of events that Rebel News is involved with. One of them, the Church Under Fire documentary series. You're the host of that, the narrator and host of that documentary. We have been in many cities, sold out crowds. And then we started a second tour to Mara Leach and her book, Hold the Line. And tonight, here in this beautiful part of the world, we're having two joint events. I just thought I'd take a second, tell people about what we're doing, and ask you to maybe summarize your thoughts, because we've probably done a dozen events on the on the Church Under Fire side. Tell me what you... We're getting out into the field again after basically being on, under house arrest like the rest of the country for two years during the pandemic. How's it been? You know, our even just to collect the interviews for the documentary, that was grueling. But then taking the documentary on the road, back to back, crisscrossing the country. And when I say crisscrossing, I mean crisscrossing the country. And I didn't do that as long with Church Under Fire as Tamara Leach has done it with her book tour. It was exhausting, our first leg of the Church Under Fire tour. But it was then we got to go home for a little bit. Tamara Leach has been just given her every night back to back. She's as kind as, and happy and grateful and gracious as ever night after night after night as she takes her book signing tour on the road. It, it, it's astounding for me to watch having experienced just a little bit of it. Yeah, I saw that yesterday. We were in Surrey, which is a suburb of Vancouver. She stayed later than I did. She shook everyone's hand took selfie with everybody, signed everyone's book, 
and I think she's a very genuine person. What you see is what you get. She's very humble, and she's quite an unlikely hero. I mean, I like to joke she's five foot nothing, you know, and she's a grandma, and you wouldn't think what's going to be, what will the demographics be of the woman who emerges to help break the fever of the lockdowns and the and the mandatory vaccines you wouldn't have chosen you wouldn't have guessed that but it it was actually perfect and her temperament her control of her emotions and her thoughts is incredible i always say and i, I always think of it and i always mean it 49 days in jail much of it solitary confinement and to still be a positive force I think most people would be either broken or turned sour or bitter by such an unjust treatment at the hands of the law. You know, you say she's unlikely, but when you sort of draw back and you look at it, she's not all that unlikely because she's the perfect foil for Justin Trudeau, who is erratic, out of control of his emotions. She reaches across the aisle to the other side. She's ecumenical. She's the opposite of Justin Trudeau. That's why she was public enemy number one. She was a strong-willed, calm woman who spoke truth to power. And we know how Justin Trudeau feels about people like that. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, It's not a a big factor, but she is a Métis woman. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the media tried to, they they went Obama birth certificate on her. They they tried to say, no, no, she's not really Indian. Because in Canada, uh, that comes with a sort of moral authority, and the left certainly plays that card. And by the way, Tamara Leach does not lead with that card. Not at all. Um, but the, the fact they tried to deracinate her, to try and take away her identity, and, and Justin Trudeau has sort of a history of being f- a fake friend to First Nations. Um, you know, he didn't do well when Jody Wilson-Raybould actually had an opinion, uh, an ethical opinion. Uh, you know, I, one of my favorite little video clips in the last month was seeing Trudeau speak at, I think it was an Indigenous Games and just getting booed. I don't know if you saw this video. Take a look. Hello, my friends. We have been waiting for this moment. We've been waiting for this moment a long time after the 2020 edition of the North American Indigenous Games had to be postponed because of the pandemic. You know, he, he's got that fake tattoo. And I'm talking too much about it, but there is something about the realness of Tamara Leach versus the, the fakeness. Trudeau, a fake feminist. Trudeau, a, a fake egalitarian who wears blackface. A fake friend of First Nations. He's fake in every way. And I think he, he panicked when he couldn't control the narrative. He panicked. And that little lady started this big fight back, if I may. You know, one of the most amazing books I've ever read in my life, Sheila, was called Uncle Tom's Cabin, Life Among the Lowly. It was an anti-slavery book uh, written by Harriet Beecher Stowe. And I recommend that book to everyone. It's funny, it's heartbreaking, it's beautiful, and it is a clever political book. There was a while it was selling. It was such a staggering bestseller. It was second only to the Bible in America. And when Abraham Lincoln finally met her. He said, so this is the little lady who started this big war. That's what he said about the Civil War. And it's quite something. He was remarking on the implausibility of it. And Tamara Leach is this little lady who started this big 
uprising. And there's something endlessly poetic about that. We'll talk with her a little bit later in the interview, but you have been on tour while you've been doing your full-time day job as the chief reporter of Rebel News. <laughs> yeah, well, as a mom too. I mean, I don't know how you do it. You, you run your household, which is, also happens to be a farm. You're a mom, including uh, when your daughter's very, very busy in, in sports, traveling everywhere, plus you, the narrator of this documentary, plus you were traveling cross-country, and then P.S. on top of that, just doing your day job, being our chief reporter. But you went to some interesting places. Was there a, was there a place on your journey that stands out that maybe you hadn't been to before or that maybe surprised you or you just got a kick out of it because you explored some of Canada. Yeah, you know, it's um, all of the places that we travel to are very different and all of the pastors that we spoke to are also very different. And I think that is was really the story of the documentary. It did not matter your style, your theology. For example, you could be like Pastor Art and fiery or you could be like, Pastor Tobias Tissen and gentle like a lamb. It didn't matter because their crimes were standing up to the state and honoring God. But for me, one of the places I had never had the opportunity to go to was the Church of God in Aylmer. The nicest, kindest people. You know, they put on a big spread for the entire community when we went to show the documentary. They had all the time in the world for us when we went to collect the uh, interview from the pastor, Henry Hildebrandt, there. And to see these gentle, kind people who sang hymns as the police barged into their church, to have these people treated like public enemy number one, it was so totalitarian. And, you know, I'll never forget the images of the women singing peacefully as the police came in. It It's one of those standout things from the crackdown on the churches that is akin to Pastor Tim Stevens being ripped away from the clutches of his crying children by the Calgary police. You know, I, uh, I don't want to overtax the analogy, but seeing armed police with their sidearm walk into a church while the women and children are praying and singing, I couldn't help but uh, remember images from Schindler's List when uh, Nazis came into Jewish places, schools, synagogues, homes, whatever. And I'm not saying that those police led to death camps and an extermination of people, but it's pretty chilling in Canada to see in color as opposed to in black and white, the images of police walking in with guns. You go in with guns because it's your way of saying, and, and you send in such a large group, it's your way of saying, if you do not do what I say, it, eventually I will use this gun. That's that's the implication there. During a church service, which by the way, in my opinion, violates the criminal code. There's a criminal code provision that makes it a crime to, quote, disturb any religious gathering. Well, the, the cops, uh, you know, laws are for the little people. Very, very frustrating. Uh, yeah, I, I was there in Aylmer when we showed the film church under fire and the church was amazing how about um in the atlantic because rebel news is we're strong in alberta uh, in part due to your um uh, efforts there you're a chief reporter you're based in alberta and i think alberta is a conservative place politically awake we're strong in ontario just because there's so much action there and there's so many people you're going to have a number of conservatives even if they're not proportionate as big 
But the Atlantic, I feel that for a variety of historic reasons, we just haven't been strong on the ground there. And I regret that. Um, so you went out there uh, to do the story and, and with the tour. What was it like in Atlantic Canada where we are not as strong? When we were in Atlantic Canada, you know, we heard from the people who came to see the documentary. And the reason we went to Atlantic Canada is because Pastor Phil Hutchins, uh, uh, previously of our tabernacle family church, he spent seven days in solitary confinement, ripped away from his family for the crime of not turning away his congregants. He refused to vax pass the congregants at his church. And they barged in and arrested him and his associate pastor, Cody Butler. They had guns. And in fact, if I recall, they had a hand on a firearm. You, so, I mean, it's one thing to wear a firearm, but to put your hand on the gun, you're touching your gun. What? Why are you doing that? Are, are you afraid or are you trying to make them afraid? That was the most infuriating part of the documentary to me. I'm, You know what? And I said this to Henry Hildebrandt when I was in Omar. I said, you know, Christians talk about turning the other cheek, love, love uh, Europe enemy forgive them pray for them you know that's new testament talk i mean I, i'm not a particularly religious man but when i saw that footage of that cop going into the church with a hand on a gun it was not love it was not love your enemy and pray for them that came to mind it was fury and vengeance and that's a little bit old testament -y. you know i believe in forgiveness and redemption and people coming back to the path but first i think there has to be some sort of a recognition Reconciliation, truth and reconciliation, as, as they would say. And that's my fear, is there were some political casualties from the lockdowns. Jason Kenney, Aaron O'Toole. And that's conservatives doing some internal political hygiene. But I don't think any premier, or the, certainly not the prime minister, was politically punished for what they did. In fact, Trudeau ramped it up for the 2021 election, that's when he went extra hard. It was after his election that he felt confident to invoke the Emergencies Act. I think that other than Aaron O'Toole and Jason Kenney, there has not been a comeuppance. There has not been um, a balancing of justice on this. I think that there are loose ends. There, there should be no closure here because it's not closed. I just want to go back for a second to our trip to New Brunswick uh, because one of the most moving parts in a Kean's behind the camera so he can attest to this. When we showed our documentary to Pastor Phil's family, his littlest one was too young to remember greeting her father at the door when he got home from uh, seven days in solitary confinement. And as she watched it, she understood and she experienced for the first time what happened to her family and her older sister started to cry uh, because she realized that her her younger sister was experiencing this for the first time. That's why our documentary is so important. It details, it chronicles the damage that these politicians, who are, as you say, never been held accountable, what they did to the Canadian public. And they there must be some sort of reckoning for this country to heal. On your point with Justin Trudeau, that ramping up of his out-of-control, divisive rhetoric, uh, treating certain sections of the Canadian population like dirty people, that was actually focused grouped out of the Privy Council office. They basically said, let's poll the Canadian public about how much of this garbage we can get away with, and then let's do it as a campaign strategy. So Canadians paid 
for the liberal part for the liberal party's campaign strategy of demonizing at least 6 million Canadian friends and neighbors. You know, I've watched the movie Church Under Fire I think four times now. And um if I'm sometimes I take a break from it because I've seen it now. I don't need to watch the whole thing again. If I am in the room in the theater when those police actions are underfoot, uh, I am angry for quite a while. Maybe that speaks to my own emotional state, but I think I think you should be angry about things like that. If you don't, then you're numb, and I, I don't want to go numb to that kind of stuff. Well, um, let me pull let me pull back a little bit because we were getting a little heavy there, but it's on my mind. I think the movie Church Under Fire is one of the, if not the best things Rebel News has ever produced. I think it's it touches on civil liberties, which we believe in, standing up for Christians, and many people don't. Um, I, I think it was, uh, we were helping to set the record straight. It was sort of uh, the, the other side of the story. We were making sure history was accurate. But I also really like the fact that we've been out in the field because we were we used to do a lot more events and then like everyone we were shut down so it's good to be out there i i really enjoyed surrey yesterday i tried to even just say hello to everybody again and i feel that is part of rebel news's mission is to give people a place to go to, to see like-minded people uh a, a sense of community um a lot of our events are in churches not just because churches believe in freedom but also because those are places where we won't be canceled um, I think it's important that Rebel News build a sense of identity amongst our supporters because they're not just viewers. So many of them are supporters. When you're viewer-funded like we are, I mean, someone introduced himself to me yesterday in Surrey and said, I was your 25th supporter. You told me that eight years ago. I had sort of forgotten, but he was really proud of that. He was the 25th guy to chip in to help us get born. And he's obviously carried that memory with him, which is wonderful. Um, I mean, I hear that. I hear that. People people tell me what they sponsored. I remember once someone said, I crowdfunded a microphone for you, or he, there was some device. And so it's good to be out amongst the people, not just in our studio. And I mean, I'm trying to get out and about and do news out there too, but I really like the fact that we're not just online. I like doing real life events too. This is just me reflecting on my own participation in some of these events um what, what's what's ahead i mean you're you're going to be coming on our trip to israel and again we're inviting our supporters on that in the new year we're going to start up our seminar cruises again which is a way for people to hang out and get a sort of a week's long vacation but also to hang out with other rebels and it's a fundraiser it's not just for fun these things do put money in in our coffers to help us pay for our journalism do you have any thoughts on that or, or, or what events you might want to do in the future? Or, I mean, it, it is time away from home and you've got a busy household. What are your thoughts on the event side of Rebel? You know, uh, I look at the event side as not only fundraisers for us, but I look at them for selfish reasons. You know, when we are in sort of the thick of things and we have all the arrows pointing at us on social media, you can sort of get in a weird headspace where you feel like, well, nobody likes us or, or whatever. But then when you get out into the field and you meet these people, it really fills up your sort of moral tank when they say thank you so much for telling our story. When we, we Kian and I, hear from uh, the churches who say, you told our story properly. 
And for some of the churches, I wasn't there. But to hear them say, that is exactly what happened. Thank you so much for getting it right because the mainstream media got it wrong. That gives me the energy to continue to fight. And that's why I think selfishly for Kian and I, we booked more documentary showings in Alberta at the end of the month. So if you'll allow me, um, and we're in Lethbridge on the 23rd August. We're in Red Deer on the 24th. We're back in Edmonton at Church in the Vine. So they are not only featured in the documentary, they are clients of the Democracy Fund. Uh, we're in Mirror, Alberta, the site of the Whistle Stop. Oh, that's that's great. You know, I, I finally made it to the Whistle Stop, and I had a delicious burger there. I met some of the family, and, and that's wonderful. What's the date on that again? That's August 26th. Wow. And then uh, from there, we go to Westlock, Alberta on the 27th. And then Kean behind the camera, we did we book Grand Prairie? We did book Grand Prairie. So for that date, time and uh, location, you can go to churchunderfiremovie.com. All right. Well, I'm, I'm really glad you, and I know it's tough to be on the road like that because you got a family and you've got other stuff, but um, I think you're right. It is encouraging to get that one-on-one -on -one feedback because even though we know that Twitter is not real life, if you over, over consume it like I do, you can start to believe the haters. So it's good to talk to people in real life. And anyway, Sheila, thank you again for holding the, uh, the torch so high, for taking the movie to the people, for being the narrator and, and the, the anchor of the movie, but also for your role as chief editor, which includes helping to bring our citizen journalists along because there is sort of a way to do journalism, even of the amateur, you know, citizen variety. And, you know, as we come up, we're, we're approaching our nine-year birthday. And uh, you've, you've certainly helped mold Rebel News in your image as a journalist, which is excellent. I thank you. And I know our viewers do, too. Well, thanks, boss. And I just want to take the opportunity to thank everybody who comes out to our showings. Um, because what an opportunity for us here at Rebel News to be able to thank our supporters and the people who cheer for us every day to continue on. There you have it. Stay with us. More ahead. As I mentioned, we have two tours going on at once at Rebel News. Sometimes we have joint events. Sheila Gunn-Reed was the host of the movie Church Under Fire. And Tamara Leach is the author of the number one best-selling book, Hold the Line. What a pleasure to catch up with her now. Tamara, it's nice to see you again here in such a gorgeous setting. We're on tour for your book. How's it going? It's been amazing. The support has been almost overwhelming. I never expected to see so many people coming out, but it's been unreal. You know, I find that heartening because it's been more than a year, about a year and a half. And you'd think, well, maybe people have forgotten or maybe people have moved on or maybe people were propagandized by the regime media. But no, like sold out crowd. Last night, you and I were in Surrey, packed. There was people in overfloor rooms. There was upstairs is like it was they couldn't shoehorn any more people into the venue. To me, that's very exciting. It's very encouraging. Yes, I think. I think with the evidence that came out at the POEC and the more evidence that comes... That's a Trucker Commission of Inquiry. Yes, sorry, thank you. Um, I think more people are waking up and becoming more aware as to what's really going on. I, I love to, to brag that your book went to number one on the bestseller list 
the day it was released, even though it wasn't, we weren't even really ready for it yet. It just sort of popped up and we didn't even, we weren't ready and it went to number one. The reason I mention that is that normally a book about a the public interest, I mean, this was the number one news story of the year, the trucker convoy and the reverberations from it and Trudeau invoking the Emergencies Act. That was the story of the generation. And you were in the heart of it. Whether people love you or hate you, you have a story to tell. I still can't believe that the CBC, Globe and Mail, Toronto Star, even the National Post have not even mentioned your book, even to criticize it. Like they have book sections. Why won't they talk about your book, even to disparage it? Well, I don't think they want to bring any attention to it, primarily speaking. If they talk about it, they have to acknowledge the existence not only of me and my book, but of also the Freedom Convoy in general. The counter-narrative. I mean, our motto at Rebel News is telling the other side of the story. And I I think that's really why... um, the, the pandemic and the lockdowns and the convoy was our time to shine. You don't, people don't necessarily look for the contrary and take all the time on anything. But during that era of fake uniformity, of fake unanimity, people said, no, 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 there's got to be another side. I think there's still sort of a blacklisting of any sources that counter the regime narrative. I, I And I don't think that's paranoia on my part. I think it's just an observation. I, I think it's obvious, actually. I mean, I'm not on social media anymore, obviously, till my conditions are gone. But um, you, you won't see that in the mainstream media. They just won't. They won't talk about it. Your trial is coming up. And I want to be very careful not to get you to weigh in because I don't want you to prejudice your case. And obviously, we don't want to violate your bail conditions. We were careful with your book. Your book was lawyered in advance. Not that there was anything wrong with it, but we just didn't want to take the chance because the government, I think they have a vendetta against you. And again, we'll never be able to know all their motivations, but I think the government didn't like the fact that you challenged their narrative. And they didn't, if I may, they didn't like you personally because you, you broke their caricature their caricature of the trucker convoy was angry, male, shouting, maybe a little verbally abusive. You are, I like to say, a five-foot-nothing Métis grandma from Alberta who answers hate with love. In fact, you turn the other cheek more than I ever could. I think that's why they had to go after you is because they said, we can't let Tamara Leach be the foil for Justin Trudeau. And they wanted to punish you because you were effective. That's my personal theory. You can call that paranoia, but I don't think so. I think it's just they they wanted to take you out of the public conversation. I think you're right. And I think what really scared them the most was the unity that happened across Canada. It was very obvious and still is to me that they were dividing people by every label they could think of for the last few years. And... I think that's what really scared them the most was seeing Canadians just drop those labels and just be so proud to be Canadian. I, I want to ask you a personal question. I, I have never been to prison as a prisoner. I've visited people in prison and I can sense how stressful it is, how uh, it makes you feel completely helpless. That was the chief feeling I had when I would sometimes visit people in prison. You were treated roughly in my view you were you were put in isolation you were you were arrested and jailed for 
ridiculous reasons that judges later said, but still 49 days. I just want to ask you, how, how did you keep your sanity when all around you were losing theirs? It's like that poem by Kipling, if to keep your wits while all those around you, where did you reach into? Was it religion? Was it family? Was it a code, like a personal philosophical code? I don't know if I could have held out and been as positive as you are. I think I might have cracked. I think I might have turned bitter or sour. Can you tell me where you went in your heart or your mind to survive what I think was an abusive detention? That's a great question. Um, I often talk about how, for me, a lot of this has been like a divine journey, a divine adventure. And I just recognized the things that were inadvertently exposed, byproducts of the convoy, uh, you know, like the mainstream media, the banking systems, the corruption at corporations like GoFundMe, uh, government, <laughs> all levels of government. And I, I just felt like that was a divine, you know? And so when I got arrested, I just felt like, okay, you have more work for me to do. And, you know, I, I prayed a lot. Uh, my mantra was thy will, not my will. And you Christian? I, yeah, I was raised Christian. I also, um, have na my native spirituality and yes. And I've done energy healing and stuff like that. So I have a really nice hybrid of beliefs that, that really work for me, a kind of a combination of all of them. And, and all, at the core of all of them is love. And I truly believe that that's how we win. You know, in your book, and I heard you tell this story the other day that some police officers, some prison guards were actually supportive of you. And they said that. It must be hard. I mean, for those that would have felt like a secret friend. But I think you were kind even to the cops who were not nice, even to the cops who were abusive. I'm not, not, I don't want to overstate their abuse, but they were cruel. How, how should anyone, how do you meet hate with love? Like, how do you do that? How do you, don't people take advantage of you when you do that? If you meet, and, and Henry Hildebrandt was the same way. He's, he's the pastor in Aylmer. Who, who talked about loving and praying for the officers who shut him down. Don't, where do you come up with that? Like, like I know that's what you're supposed to do. I know turn the other cheek. That's Jesus would say that, but it's easy to read that. But how do you do that? Well, fundamentally for me, it just comes down to being respectful. I, I mean, I'm when you're being disrespected, how do you fight disrespect with respect? Well, then I, I guess because I, it's not taking up space in my head. And that's what's important for me is to stay focused and stay positive. You know, uh, uh, of course, there's been, you know, lots of terrible things written about me and I've been called horrible, horrible names. And when we were coming across Canada, I remember a friend of mine kept sending me these articles, these terrible articles when they were calling me horrible names and tweets and hate tweets and stuff like that. And I just had to say to her one day, you know, please stop. Yeah. I'm not going to read them. I need to stay focused and I need to stay positive. And this is not going to help my mental health. And so I just have to let that stuff fall away. And if there's one thing I've, I've learned out of this whole thing is that I've developed very thick skin. <laughs> so, you know, I, 
I, to me, it just comes down to being respectful. And even if they're not going to respect me in return, I can say that I've done my best. In the book, you quote a poem called Invictus. I remember reading that um, in school. And it's, it's a very dramatic poem. And it ends, I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. If I, is that, yeah. Did I get that right? Or the other way around? I am the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. Yeah. Yeah. So part of that is you know, being religious and thinking of God's plan. But part of that is, like how it ends, I am the captain of my fate. I, maybe I got the wrong words, but I mean, when you are in someone else's jail, to still believe you're the captain of your fate, that takes a confidence. I just, I know I'm asking a lot of questions, but I just don't, I just don't know how you do that. And if there's a secret, I want to learn it because, uh, I wouldn't think by looking at you that you are so powerful you could make the prime minister of a country blink. You don't look that powerful, no disrespect. You look like a regular grandma, you know, a very young grandma, I should say. I mean, I'm, I'm saying that because you're, you're not, I wouldn't think you're built for fighting, but your style of fighting made the, the giants collapse. How do you, when you're in shackles, still say, I am the captain of my fate? Well, because I still, I, I still own me. They can, I mean, and that's the whole thing with all of this experience too, you know, how the narrative that uh, against the convoy, but I, I know what it really was and they can never take that away from me. You know, that's inside of me and they can put me in jail, but they still don't own me. And I, and this is still belongs to me and God. You know, I met once a Soviet dissident uh, named Anatoly Sharansky, who was sent to the Gulag for contradicting the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. And he was in prison for longer than you, obviously, and I think his treatment was worse. But I still found it miraculous that he, within him, like he he did things just to keep his mind sane, but I think it was just like what you said, he always knew he was the master of who he was. There's a similarity between you and him. And again, I'm not comparing the the Soviet gulag era with Canada, but but you were jailed for a political crime. You were you were abused, and and the way you responded reminds me of Anatoly Sharansky. By the way, when he was finally let out of prison, he made his way to Israel. And he ran for parliament and he was elected to the Israeli Knesset. So his moral example, I think, led the way. Let me close with this. Listen, I wanted to talk to you about the book tour, but I just, I'm just asking these questions that I've been thinking about. So let me ask you the Sharansky question. Would you ever consider, I'm not saying make the decision now, but would you ever consider once we're through the trial, once God willing you're acquitted, once your life sort of goes back to normal and you're no longer being hunted, would you ever consider doing what Sharansky did and seeking a public role in public office or something? Or do you just want to go back to normal life? <laughs> normal life? <laughs> um, you know what? I, I won't rule it out. I definitely won't rule it out. It's never been something that I really wanted to do. Because I, I think the, that when you get into politics, there's so many rules and restrictions that you're so hobbled. So 
but I definitely won't rule it out. I guess we'll see what happens in the next year or so and, you know, how everything is after it shakes out. But uh, I certainly won't be afraid to if that's what's necessary. Well, for folks who, who want to know how they can connect with Tamara, uh, we have a website called theconvoybook.com. There's obviously a link there to the book itself, but there's also a link there to the Democracy Fund crowdfunding page, which is covering Tamara's uh, legal fees for the battle that's about to come in Ottawa. And we didn't talk at length about that, but 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 we will cover that very intensively when it happens. Let me put one last idea on the table, and you don't have to respond to it, but I just want to put a, an idea down and sort of memorialize it on camera. Every once in a while, Alberta has a Senate election where the whole province votes. So it's not just Medicine Hat or Calgary. It's the whole province. So people with name recognition have a real bonus because you have to be known in Calgary and Edmonton and the rural parts and Medicine Hat. And, you know, Trudeau does not respect those Senate elections, but whenever a conservative prime minister is in office, he typically appoints those people. For example, Stephen Harper appointed elected senators from Alberta into the Senate. And I just want to float the idea there that Tamara Leach, as a candidate for the Canadian Senate, running for the whole province of Alberta, would have a real chance of winning, in my view, because it's every Albertan. So it, you're going to have name recognition. You're going to have touched people all across the province. But the biggest reason I want to plant that seed of an idea with you, I just want the idea to germinate, is because the things you just mentioned, all the th ways the politicians are hobbled, being a senator in our system, you're not under the same strict party discipline as the MPs because you don't have to continuously suck up to the party leader to be renominated because you're, you're, if you're in the Senate, you're there till you're 75. So I just want to put on the record now, I have an idea and I'm going to try and, you know, let's see how things go. I think you're going to be acquitted, God willing, in Ottawa. I think... I think the world is not done with you. You might say God is not done with you, fate, karma, whatever people want to say. I think you there is more there are more chapters in your story to be written. And I think that one way to do it would be to go back to that city of Ottawa, the city where you were arrested and abused. To go back to that city not as a grandma from Medicine Hat in a truck but to go back as the honorable senator from Alberta with a mandate for freedom and a, and a democratic legitimate mandate, I just want to plant that idea. I'll tell you one thing. I would be a supporter, and I think many rebels would be. So I just threw this at you. I gave you no notice of this idea. Do you have any reaction or do you just want to cogitate on it? I will definitely think about that. That hadn't crossed my mind before. Yeah. Well, I i mean, you've already served your country more than most, um, not in military service, which we have to give tremendous respect to those who actually serve, but to serve in the in, pub, in the public square. And you've suffered uh, for that. And I and I think there's something Christ like about suffering for your fellow man. This is turning into a love and not even an interview. But I've but uh, it's been fun hanging out with you a little bit. I've attended some of your events, and it's a, it's remarkable to see. So thanks for working so hard on these tours. You you stay till the end. You sign everyone's books. You pose for selfies. That's hard work, I know. 
to be as friendly to the last person as to the first person. So thanks for doing it. And thanks for working with Rebel News and the Democracy Fund. It's, I've got a real kick out of hanging out with you lately. It's been great. And it's been a great experience for me. And thank you guys so much for all your help and all your support. And, you know, as I said last night, making the whole process with the book so seamless and easy and therapeutic. I'm glad you feel that way because, uh, you know, we've got a whole a whole team and I'm I'm proud of the work they've done. Well, folks, there you have it. Tamara Leach, one of my favorite people. And yeah, I know I was a little bit, I was a fanboy there, but, but that's how I honestly feel. And I feel like um, sometimes people really do extraordinary things. They rise to the occasion and maybe they're not the central casting image of who you might think a freedom fighter would look like, but that makes it all, all the more wonderful. And let me go on the record right now that if there is a Senate campaign for Senator Leach, I'm going to be a volunteer and I'm going to break my rule against donations. I never make political donations, but I would make a donation for a, a, a Tamara for Senate campaign. I'm just having a chuckle, but let me tell you, let me look you in the eye and tell you I mean it. Stay with us. Some uh, final thoughts are next. Well, there you have it from all of us here at Rebel News on the road to you at home. Until next time, good night and keep fighting for freedom.